Hey, Jason. Oh, hey, man. Um, so, I mean, are you, are we going to do like that thing that we do at the beginning of the show? What thing? You're not, you don't have like any, anything wacky planned? Like you're not, you're, you're not going to pretend you're like a narf or a scrunt or something else from this movie and act all weird and try to get me to do something and, you know, you know, the thing we do. And then I act all uncomfortable. And I'm like, Jason, what are you doing? Like, we're not, we're not doing that. No, we're not. Oh my God. This is like a moment from a horror movie. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, th- this movie's reputation is... Pretentious, isn't that right, Steve? Pretentious, bad. It's bad. It's a bad. It's a bad reputation. That's right. It's the first movie you watch when you take Pretension 101 in college. (laughs) (laughs) Hubris, thy name is Shyamalan. What movie can be so obviously pretentious that you could use it as a teaching guide in college? Well, I'll tell you. It's that 2006. Fantasy. Yeah, it's a fantasy movie. drama thing. It's uh, it's just a fantasy movie. Sure. Bedtime La- story. <laughs> Bedtime. Yeah, that should have stayed one maybe. Yeah, I think so. Instead of being made into a major film, but mm-hmm. too late. <laughs> uh oh. We made it. Oh no. <laughs> we're talking, of course, about none other than Lady in the Water. Yay, Lady in the Water. Oh no! You're hey. We're gonna get through no. this. We're not. We're gonna get this through is... this. Okay, great. Wait, Lady wait. in the Water, yay! Movie by M. Night Shyamalan that yeah. basically took his career, looked at it for a second, and then chucked it into a burning pile of trash, and he's never been able to climb out of it. <laughs> he ruined his reputation. He ruined it, and then boy, he didn't have another movie to say. Look, no, I can make good ones. Look, here's the happening. The oh. trees are killing people, but Whoops. not in an exciting, dynamic way. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't help. You don't like that? How about I make a, a genre children's film based on a really popular cartoon series and do it so fucking wrong that I anger the fan base, who are probably oh. the only ones that were going to go see it anyway. But it doesn't matter because I'm M. Night Shyamalan and I'm a fantastic. I'm the next Steven Spielberg. That's what everyone oh, said. That's, what, that's every- what they said. That's what everyone said for two movies. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, do you have any fucking trivia for this fucking movie i do good would you like would you like to hear it or will that just increase the pain i'm gonna have to not only do i have to hear it this time i have to hear it when i'm editing this fucking thing okay so yeah you may as well the pain you get to you get to go home when we're done i don't i have to live with this garbage a couple more times (laughs) so i should do the trivia then yeah, okay. like, what okay. am I going to say? No. Okay. Content. So, this is a podcast. <laughs> we Why have don't we to just end it now? It <laughs> fucking sucked. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Jesus. You might as well don't tell me have to say me something. Th- don't, don't ask me that question again. It's a stupid question. Right, I, you know what? I hate it. You're, what you're, do the people think? They can look at the time stamp and it's like, oh, they did an hour and 30 minutes and they just stopped after four? I can see I'm that. A, I'm, I'm beating up Steve. For you're no hurt. Reason. You're hurt, and you're you're in pain, and you're lashing out, and I understand it. 
Okay, I'm okay? sorry, Steve. It's I okay. Love you. It's okay. Listen, I forgive. I love you too. But listen, don't ever fucking Why? talk to me that way again. Okay, I'll never do it. <laughs> okay. So here's some trivia about this movie that we're going to review. So this was kind of a disappointment at the box office. You think? Yeah. And that dismal box office performance was exacerbated by the fact that this was a surprisingly expensive movie to make. I mean, it wasn't like as expensive as a Marvel movie or something. But when you watch the movie and you're like, oh, it just it all kind of takes place at this same dingy apartment complex. This must have not been too expensive, except the it, whole thing takes place at this apartment. complex. Yeah, except it was expensive because instead of just picking an apartment complex to shoot it at, M. Night Shyamalan had them build a whole new apartment complex for the movie. And some of the side streets. And some of the side streets. That they never shot. That they never even used. You might be thinking, oh, where, where are the side streets in the movie? Exactly. They're not in the mm-hmm. movie, but he built They're them. Um, so, yeah, that may, maybe next time, just if you're going to shoot a movie at an apartment complex, just find an apartment complex. And Tell be like, them why they had to build it. Tell them why they had to build it in in Pennsylvania. Tell them, Steve. Tell them why. Because M. Night Shyamalan had had committed to shoot in Pennsylvania. He wanted to shoot his movies in Pennsylvania. Because he's from Pennsylvania. He didn't want to have to drive more than 45 minutes from his home to make the fucking movie. He lives in Pennsylvania. Did, he, did you hear that, corpse of David Lean? He didn't want to drive 45 minutes to make his fucking movie. Well, I suppose we could have called it Lawrence did, of Philadelphia. Did you hear that, John Houston? <laughs> hey, Stevie Spielberg and George Lucas, I know. It was great fun eating canned food in Tunisia so you didn't get food poisoning for Star Wars and, and Raiders of the Lost yep. Ark. Should have just... But hey, yeah, should have... Did you know you could act like a baby and insist that they build an entire com- move, uh, <laughs> apartment complex for you so you didn't have to drive in for more than 45 minutes? What I want to know is, are there really no apartment complexes within 45 minutes of his house? Because there's apartments within 45 minutes of my house they could have shot this movie at. That they could have done it in my house, too. I, I mean... mean, it's not like it's the most unique looking place. It's not a moon base. <laughs> Like there's 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 apartments everywhere. Just find an apartment complex that suits the story and be like, can we shoot it here? I mean, so yeah. Um, he was pulling. You know what he was pulling? What? He was pulling a Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Although I'm pretty sure that New York Street that he shot on for Eyes Wide Shut in London was already there. Yeah, I don't think it was built. No, he didn't have it built just for that movie. Like, you know, every fucking major studio with a studio lot has a New York street. I mean... Yeah, here's here's know. a fun thing. Surprise! Stanley Kubrick never shot outside of London. Not outside of... Uh, which studios was it? Oh, oh. I can't remember. I don't think it was L Street. No, it wasn't. It was... Um, oh, man, you asked me too fast. No, I can't You're think of it. You're the expert. I know, I can't, I, can't, I can't think of it. Now I'm going to have to... You can tell me... I mean, geez, you know so much about Stanley. You know what his armpits smelled like? So come on, Pinewood. 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 Thank you. It was one. Of, it was either Elstree or Pinewood. But I mean, hey, he he made Georgia become Georgia. He made <laughs> he made England become Georgia, Vietnam, every place where he set his movies. Yep. 
And that's what that's what M. Badam Badam was doing. He was he was just doing what Stanley Kubrick did with um, a, just an infinitesimal percentage of his talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What other damaging trivia do you have, Steve? Well, as as I think we mentioned already, um, and I know this will this will be shocking to some of our listeners who don't know this already, because it all fits together so well and makes so much sense. But the mythology of the creatures presented in the film is not based on pre-existing myths and legends, but in fact was invented by M. Night Shyamalan and was originally a bedtime story he told his children. Can you believe that? This this cohesive so, this cohesive fantasy me, world that he created for this movie. You're basically telling me that his children have learned at a very young age to smile and eat the shit he's given them. <laughs> They're like, "Yes, Daddy, it's a great story. Oh, I hope you tell us this story again. We're four. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Just go this to doesn't sleep. make sense to adult. No, I'm not done. Wait a minute. This doesn't make sense to adult people." <laughs> All I want is, I want to know that I'm going to have sliced bananas with my breakfast in the morning, and that when I get home, my piece-of-shit father isn't going to force some goddamn pretentious story on us about narfs and quingles and God knows what else. And do I give a shit that the main character's family is dead? Did you weave that into my four-year-old bedtime story? You goddamn arrogant (laughs) son of a bitch! Hey, that's a really good segue to my final bit of trivia. Oh, goody. Because this was the first Shyamalan film since his debut. His debut film was, was an independent film, but his, the, the movies that he's made that most people have heard of, starting with the one before The Sixth Sense and then The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, um, this was the first of his major films to not be developed and produced and released by Disney. Now what? he. He, he originally brought the project to Disney, but he left and ended up taking it to Warner Brothers. And at the time, he said that it was over creative differences. But right. according to a book about the film's production, because this is one of those movies where they where somebody it's wrote a book. It, it's so bad that they got to write a book about it. Somebody wrote a book about the making of it. It was that bad. How big of an asshole do you have to be in order for there to be a book about you making a movie? One of those creative differences was that he had sent the script to a Disney executive who was, I think she was in charge of like development of new projects or something. Mm-hmm. And he sent her the script and instead of reading it right away, like instead of, of hungrily tearing open the package and devouring the script the moment it arrived on her desk, she decided to take her child to a party instead that night. Mm-hmm. And when Shyamalan, I guess he called her the next day or something and was like, so what'd you think of my script? Uh-huh. And, and she said, well, I, I haven't read it yet. I just got it yesterday and I haven't read it yet. I took my kid to a party last night. He was so insulted that she had not immediately read his screenplay that he, he, he left in a huff and he ended up taking the project to another studio. He was so, so affronted by the fact that she took her child to a party <laughs> instead of reading his script the very day. That Disney lost the, the best movie. Part. Tell them the best part. The best part? Disney had already agreed to fully fund the picture. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Disney was totally going to do it because he was M. Night Shyamalan. He had been okay. He'd been doing all right. His last two pictures, some of the critics had problems with him, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and he noticed, as we can see in and this movie. And he took it. 
so well, didn't he? <laughs> With the dignity and restraint and maturity that you would expect mm-hmm. from, a, from a filmmaker, yeah. Daddy, why is this mean critic man in our children's story that you're telling us tonight? <laughs> Shut up! He's the worst kind of man. A film critic. Any more trivia? That's it. Any more? That's it. Great. Now oh. it's my turn. Who made it? Well, it was directed by M. Night Shyamalan, and you know him. He made The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and, you know, Signs. <laughs> and other movies that we don't and, need to talk and about. The Happening and Avatar. And Avatar the, the, the Village. Last Airbender. Village. Um, that glass movie that came out yeah. a couple years ago where Split. he's like, see, I've been making a... Everything's connected. That's right. It's the All Shyamalan it's universe. The Shyamalan Cinematic Universe. (laughs) (laughs) It's produced by Sam Mercer, who's produced almost all of his movies. You know, and also like Congo. Everybody remember Congo with the sign language ape that had like a computer arm that could talk for her? That was awesome. Just cash those checks, Sam. Can we watch Congo? It's garbage. (laughs) Can we watch it, please? I want this movie out of my head. You you would rather watch Congo. I'd rather watch Congo on a loop that lasts forever than ever take the chance of accidentally watching this movie again. Okay, that'll be the rest of our lives then, just watching Congo over and over again. (laughs) Stay tuned next week for Congo, part one, where we analyze the first 30 seconds of Congo. Uh, And also produced by Eminem Shamanam. Written by Eminem Ding Dong. Starring people I like. I know. That's the worst part, isn't it? The cast is so amazing. It is the worst part. The, Paul Giamatti as Cleveland Heap. Fuck you. God damn it. He goes on and on about his originality. It's in the text, in this fucking script, right? And he came up with Cleveland Heap, and we're just supposed to accept that. And he's a former doctor, so at some point people are calling him Dr. Heap. Dr. Heap. You know him. He um, played John Adams in the fantastic HBO series John Adams. He was in American Splendor. He was in Sideways. Mm-hmm. Hey, guess who they wanted? Oh, who did they want? Kevin Costner. That would have been different. They were gonna they were gonna go after him too, but they signed they signed Paul Giamatti. So too bad. I wish I wish it had gone the other way. <laughs> So Kevin Costner could have to could, ha- could so have to Kevin have his Costner movie around his neck instead of Paul Giamatti. That he, he's looking at narfs and skizzles and God knows what else is in this goddamn story. And just thinking about the western he really wants to be making. Right, exactly. Bryce Dallas Howard as Jesus Christ. Say the name. Say the character name. Don't tell me you don't. As story. That's her name. You know her. She was in the village in Jurassic World, and she's a director now. Yeah, she's kind of a director now. She's directed a few of the episodes, The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and she's already and they a, were pretty good. She's already a better director than her dad. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Well, it's true. <laughs> and who's her daddy? Her daddy is Ron Howard, the most overrated director in Hollywood. But he has like a teaching thing in that master class I know. thing. I'm, he? I'm sure he's a nice guy. He he seems like a lovely human being. Yeah, he's nice. But, he's opie. But whenever I see, oh, that looks like an interesting movie, directed by Ron Howard. Never mind. Bob Balaban as Harry Farber, yep. the villain. Yes, the villain. <laughs> or one of the characters literally says, 
Who has the arrogance to presume someone else's intentions? Oh, God. I'm... He's a film critic, everybody. Mm-hmm. That, yep, he's the he's the evil the evil character in the movie. Yes, he is. In a movie, in a movie with literal monsters, <laughs> the film critic is the evil character. He's also the only person in the movie that gets killed horribly. Yep. Coincidence. You guys know Bob Balaban. He was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He was in all of Christopher Guest's uh, improvisational movies oh, yeah. like Guffman and Mighty Wind and that. He's a fantastic actor. He's a fantastic, yes. He's amazing. And yeah. I, I know that he needs money. Jeffrey Wright. That's right. That Jeffrey Wright. You know, probably one of the best actors to come along in the last 20 to 30 oh, years. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And he plays Mr. Dury, and you'll know him as the as uh, Doctor Narcisse in Boardwalk Empire, and as uh, uh, I can't remember his character's name in Westworld, but he's in Westworld, and he's been in lots of stuff. He's going to be the next Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, whenever and... they finish making that movie, <laughs> the next Batman is never getting done. It's never coming um, out. <laughs> And it's also going directly to to HBO Max. Woo-hoo. So yay! I don't know that yet. We don't. I bet we'll it. See. I bet it is though. Okay, fine. Sarita Chowdhury as Anna Ran, and you know her mostly from Mississippi Marsala. She's been in other stuff too. She's a great actress. Mm-hmm. She is. There's better. Cindy Chung as Young Sun Choi. And she's been in stuff. This was like her first breakthrough movie. Yeah. She's a fellow classmate of mine from ACT. And then she did a bunch of stuff. I mean, we weren't in class together. I mean, she's from the same school. You're where both I was alumni, yeah. 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 I trained really hard at ACT, one of the most prodigious. Uh, prodigious. <laughs> <laughs> prodigious. Kinda. One of the <laughs> most uh, respected acting schools in the United States. And uh, I trained hard to do this. And just and, and hey, just think if you had gotten a couple of and I'm not even doing it for a living. If 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 you had gotten a couple of of extra breaks, maybe you could have been in an M Night Shyamalan movie, huh? Oh boy! Think yeah. about that, buddy. Mm-hmm. She hasn't done anything. Freddie Rodriguez is Reggie, and uh, you might know him from Six Feet Under. That uh, a lot of HBO guys mm-hmm. and uh, Planet Terror. Remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. The other one. Yeah. The one that... Bill Orr... <laughs> yeah, the other one. The yeah. one that... He dies. Yeah. Uh, Bill Irwin oh. as Mr. Leeds. Yeah, I know. One of my favorite actors. And uh, he's known as a professional clown. Yeah. Not the scary kind. <laughs> um, and you know him. He's super tall. He was in Popeye. He's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, he was in that uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy video. Yes. Now everybody knows who he is. You know, that guy. That guy. Jared fucking harris right this one i think this one hurts the most for me personally jared harris well, is one his, of my he favorite was, actors. his career was just starting and he was taking whatever he could get but you know him jared harris he plays goatee smoker because fucking m nam and dambadam just decided to stop naming characters at a particular point and you know him from fuck fringe Mad Men, and most lately the HBO series Chernobyl. Oh, he's so good in Chernobyl. He and, is, he's and, so um, good. Period. And he's also a great actor. The the first season of The Terror, he was so. Oh, that's right. God the Terror. Good. That's right. Oh my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He's fantastic. <sighs> Mary Beth Hurt as Mrs. Bell, and you might remember her as Pooh from um, uh, The World According to Garp. If anybody remembers that movie, I remember that. I movie. do. <laughs> And she was in Six Degrees of Separation and other shit. 
Joseph D. Reitman as long-haired smoker. And you saw him in Perfect Storm and Clueless and a bunch of other smaller roles. Uh, Tova Feldsch... I'm going with that. Sure. Tova Feldsch as Mrs. Bubchick. And uh, she was in The Walking Dead. And she's done other stuff. Oh, boy. M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Oh, he's in this. Uh huh. Oh, he, he has to be because he, he he always casts himself. He cast himself in a role in his film. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Imagine he, he's just doing what Hitchcock did. Yeah. This is just, you know, is it just like that, it's just a little cameo. It's just a little cameo. Yeah, where he's walking by with his dogs or something. Sure, something like that. No, it's no? not. Oh, it's what he always does. He always has to give himself a character with dialogue oh. because he thinks he's a good actor. Oh. Guess what? Is he not? <laughs> No. Oh. But he plays Vic Ran, and he is the man who's going to. What's he's gonna? What's he gonna do? He's gonna write the book that saves the world. Oh, cool! Steve. Hey, so the writer of director of the movie cast himself in that role. That's right. That's interesting. He did. He did. It's interesting. It's not. It's not interesting. It's, it makes for angry of the blood. Oh. It's what it does. My, my blood is still angry because I mean, if you if you look at that a certain way, that could reflect rather poorly on him. You mean if you look at that at any way, not a certain way, from any direction, it always looks bad. Yeah, when you cast yourself okay. as a prophet. Yeah. yeah, it's like I'm making I'm making a movie. What movie are you making? I'm making um I don't know Jay and Silent Bob jerk each other off, and I'm playing Jesus. <laughs> Oh. And he saves everybody at the end. It's great. You need to go the opposite direction. You need to do the 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 uh, the Taika Waititi version and cast yourself as Hitler, or uh, as a CGI rock, or monster. as a CGI rock monster. So nobody, or maybe not even put yourself in the movie at all. You could. Ju- I hear a lot of directors do that. They're not. They're not in their movies at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Noah Gray KB as Joey Dury, nothing. June Kyoko Lu as Mrs. Choi, nothing. Music by James Newton Howard, and he's done such great soundtracks for Pretty Woman, Fugitive, mm-hmm. the remake of King Kong, and Space Jam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody remembers the classic score from Space Jam. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I still remember it. It's uh... Cinematography by Christopher Doyle. He's done a lot of Chinese cinema. Edited by Barbara Tolliver. I didn't write anything down because I think I stopped caring at this point. I probably (laughs) should have looked up her career. Whatever, Barbara. I hope you did something else. You'll probably show up on this show, in which case I won't be angry and I can put you down. But you edited this. You knew what was coming. You didn't warn us, Barbara. You didn't warn us. We have the internet now. You could have said something, but you did. No. Production company, Legendary Pictures, and Blinding Edge Pictures. Distributed by Warner Brothers. Release date, July 21st, 2006. Running time, 109 minutes. Budget, $70 million. Box office, $72.8 million. Just barely outgrossed its budget. But it didn't outgross its advertising costs. And that's why we didn't get the next lady in the water. (laughs) The lady in the trash bin. (laughs) That would have been the next one. The lady Um, in the downspout. Now they said one of the reasons why it didn't make its money back, and I and I have no doubt that this is the lie that they kept telling him, tell told old M. Shamalama Damba Dingle, uh, over and over again, was that Warner Brothers just didn't invest any money in the advertising. I'm going to agree 
because they had to watch this movie before <laughs> they could advertise. How are we going to market this? It. Yeah, how are we? Is this a horror movie? I mean, there's no cussing in it. There's no cussing. Is it G? Is it PG? Is it is it for kids? Is it for adults? Is it for human beings? Is this fit for human consumption? And they're they, like, I don't uh, know. They banked everything on the star wattage of Paul Giamatti, and it just didn't work. <laughs> Honey, let's go see the next Paul Giamatti movie. <laughs> Did you ever see Shoot 'Em Up? No, I hear it's good actually, but I've never seen it. It's it's fun. Yeah. And it's literally, Paul Giamatti's character is based on Elmer Fudd and Owen, what's his name? I can't remember his, I can't remember who plays the... Clive Owen? Uh, Clive Owen is based on Bugs Bunny. And that's all it is, really. And and lots of shooting. Sold. And and some gross stuff. But I mean, and he has to save a baby. Okay. Breast, Breast milk is involved. That's kind of the icky part uh, <laughs> but i mean other than that i mean it's good i liked it i enjoyed myself i like didn't commit it to memory or anything like that but i mean it was fun there's one scene where they're on like a you know one of those things the carousel things and it's not like a real one with horses but the kind that you have at a park like at a, at a playground yeah yeah right at a playground and you just spin right up one time when i was seven i was on there and it was spinning super fast and uh-huh. i fell halfway off J- and i was just being my face and my arm was being Jason? dragged through the tan bark jason and i was like shut up don't interrupt my storytelling okay what is it i was what just, do you want i feel like maybe you're you're trying to not get to the part where we talk about the movie why would i that's why you're telling okay, you're talking right. about other movies you're talking about okay, anecdotes yeah. from your childhood where you threw up right. on a merry-go-round i didn't throw up i was dragged through the tan bark oh okay you were dragged through the tan <laughs> bark briefly I had splinters in my face. Okay, I'm well. I'm very okay. sorry to hear. You know, I fell off a merry-go-round oh. once when I was a kid too. Did you tell me in extreme detail? I. You know what? I feel like we should probably just get into the plot summary of the movie, though. Okay, it sucked. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> I never want you to complain about the Lord of the Rings again. Okay. Because you can see how horribly wrong things okay. can go. Hey, but you know what? You know what? You know? Do you know what the nice? Do you know what the nice part is, though? What? I'm never. Oh, it's only 140 minutes. Well, no, long. Yeah, I get no, it. I, I, it did feel like that. I'm, I'm never gonna have to complain about the Lord of the Rings again. Uh, I don't know. The Hobbit's still out there. Oh boy, you gonna hold that over my head? <laughs> oh, well, there's nothing. I mean, you're safe. They're not 10 years old yet. Not yet. Okay. If you really want to do this fucking thing, well, let's do this fucking thing. Hey, everybody, let's all run into the warehouse where they built this apartment complex. Yeah. Let's all tell M. Night that he is the next Hitchcock guy. Uh, sure. Yeah. Let's let's smile and pretend like the script makes sense or that character motivations make sense or that any of it makes sense. What me and okay, so I'm done. Let's just let's do let's do what his kids did when he told them the story and just fall asleep. (laughs) Okay, and let's jump into the pool that is the lady. That's not the. It's just lady in the water. Yeah, Steve. I've gone blind. Steve, (laughs) I'm 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 right here, bud. Just follow follow my voice. I'm having anxiety blindness. Okay. You're gonna have to take my hand. Here you, here you go. I, I got you. I got you. I got you. Great. Take it away. Uh, <laughs> so, I hope you like unnecessary exposition cartoons. 
I don't. Well, unfortunately for you, then that's how the movie starts. We get. Is it an exposition that adds, you know, you know, something like, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. background texture, uh, or is it just a list of bullshit? It it um it adds absolutely nothing. It tells us stuff that we find out later in the movie anyway, and it's no. kind of tonally inconsistent with the rest of the movie. So yeah, it's got mm. that going for it too. But yeah, we get we Wait, Steve. You know what's great? What? I had a great opening that's kind of like this. Did you ever see the original Watership Down? <gasps> oh yeah. Where they open it up and they kind of explain the religious beliefs of the rabbits, mm-hmm. you know, with Frith and how rabbits became the way they are and how they became, you know, the, the what was it, the Prince of a Thousand Enemies, that's what it was. And and how that kind of influences the way they talk and the kind of their mindset and, you know, it really examined, well, what would it be like if you were a prey item for so many different species? And is that is that what this is? No, Steve, no, is no. That, okay. No, this is like simple, like it's just sort of it, it black and white animation telling the really really dumb story of the really really dumb mythology that this movie what is, is ba- the dumb mythology there are um these creatures that live in the water called narfs do they say that or do they say there were two kinds of people and then the land people and the water people sure maybe i don't know and the water people were nice, and they're always giving the water, great advice. Yeah, the water people try to help the land people, and the land people are like, shut try. up, I don't need your help. But and the water people still try to help. And the land people are us. Yeah, we're the yeah. land people, and the, and there's water people. And water people, uh, we never listen to them, but they keep trying to help us. That's right. And then we went further inland, and we lost contact with the, with the water people, right? Yeah. Except for all those civilizations that are around oceans yeah. that depended on the ocean for fishing. Except for those people. Which is I, like a lot of major inland. civilizations. Yeah. Like almost every major yeah. city in every country in the world. Yeah. Not to mention all the submarines, mm-hmm. boats. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of water all around pretty much any place people live. And we never abandoned the ocean, did we, Steve? I don't, I don't I, remember that being a thing? I'm pretty sure. I'm not positive. I'm pretty Wait, sure there are still boats. Even we found archaeological sites that showed that our early ancestors really kind of liked being next to the ocean. It was a good food source. Oh, yeah. They, they find caves where humans lived and bones, and we saw that they were eating like shells. So, um, this is shit. <laughs> yeah. This is stupid. But, and they're like, oh, but uh, they keep sending narfs yep. or whatever they call yep. them yep. to us to be like hey guys be here's some advice and whoa what if humankind doesn't want to listen no more right mm-hmm. and then what happens a guy kills a bug <laughs> yeah exactly we we meet our hero cleveland heap and it's a it's a Ugh. it's a pov shot of him looking into like a, a cabinet under a sink and there's a, an, yeah. a, a bug that we can't see but it sounds pretty scary and he mm-hmm. he kills it and with the end of and everybody better pay attention because it's a guy with five daughters yes and i guess that'll be important that'll be later Im- that'll this be is important the only later. time you fucking see them until they're brought up out of the blue again yep because that's <laughs> quality screenwriting <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. It's called foreshadowing, yeah. and he doesn't know how to do uh, it no more. Uh, no, <laughs> nope. So, so, so Cleveland, he's he's the super at this apartment complex, and that's right. And he kills the giant bug, and then we cut to him welcoming the new tenant, and the new tenant is the worst, most evil human being who has ever lived. And yes, I'm including he's a film critic, and I'm including Hitler in that. He's worse than Hitler. That's right. He's a film. He's critic. worse than Hitler. He's a film critic, and he hates and he hates all movies. He's a film. Because that's how... Yeah. yeah. Film but, critics hate movies. But, yeah. He's dead inside. He's rude. He doesn't smile. He doesn't do anything um, outwardly. He's he just... He's a, a, a sucking hole into all the characters that we're going to meet. And we meet Jesus yep. Christ. Okay. And so he... Yeah. He... Instead of taking the new tenant directly to his apartment, which is how it would happen... He takes him on a tour of the complex where he meets all the characters that live in the apartment complex because it's a movie. So it's one of those apartment complexes where all the people are characters and they all have little quirky mm-hmm. things like the guy who works out, but only on one side of his body. Uh, it's, one arm. It's a movie. Right. It's a movie. So he has a great big. What he does is see he he glues on a prosthetic arm that yeah. looks like he's been working out just one arm. Yeah. And and. And, and he's like, look, see that. And he also meets he meets um, Young Sun Choi. Yeah. But the first time we meet her, it, she her back is facing us. Yeah, and we don't see her head. Why? Because we're saving that for a meaningless reveal a little bit later that shows that she has a wacky hairstyle. Is that what it was? I, she has a wacky hairstyle. I, yeah, because she has like a mohawk. The first time we see her face, she has like a mohawk. She doesn't have. Oh you know, well, her hair is styled to make. It yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. She, yeah. she doesn't actually have a mohawk. But yeah, it's styled in like no. a mohawk style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why? Because it's funny. Was that not a reveal when we meet a character that kind of becomes important later? Because it's funny. She has fu- was it she, funny? She has wacky <laughs> hair. You didn't expect she would have wacky hair, did you? Ha, 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 ha. I kept expecting it to cut to a reverse shot for a reveal that would be funny, but it's just a person. Yeah. Or maybe he thinks Chinese people's faces are funny. <gasps> that would be, what? That would be racist. Would it? Yes. Why is it that she speaks in a thick accent? Because it's just how she just happens to talk. Just so happens. Oh, I just see. so happens. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, meets her, meets weightlifting guy, yeah. meets uh, the, the old lady. No, not yet, but eventually yeah. he meets old lady. And, and the, does he animals. meet the guys who all live, who apparently all live together? He lives next door to them. Yeah, Five that's guys right. Yeah, live the, in a yeah. tiny apartment together, and they just sit around and smoke and goof around, and that's. That's funny, but he's got to meet the pool man. Oh, that's right, and because somebody's been swimming been in the pool. Swimming at night. Uh oh. At night when they're not supposed to. That's against the and rules. And this pool, this pool man takes his job so fucking seriously yeah. that it, it at that point you start laughing at the movie because he's just a pool man. But the way he's talking makes it very serious. That I was just out here and I cleaned this pool, and look, there are things in the drain already. And it's like it's a pool; they get clogged up, things blow into it. You know, you're probably finding dead frogs and, and bugs in it all the time. Right. But apparently, one person swimming at the pool at night because he says there's like oil or something. Yeah. Slick it's like who the fuck is swimming stupid. in this pool? And he is—he's talking to him like a cop. Yeah. Yeah. He is. Yeah. He is. 
And Paul Giamatti has a stutter, doesn't he? He does have a stutter. Hey, do you think there's some uh, reason? Oh yeah. Also, we only we we see Bill Irwin, and he's just sitting in there, and he doesn't even say hi. Right. He's just because when you hire an actor like Bill Irwin, you want to have him play the guy who doesn't say anything. Right. Also, it's like he says he's 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 came with the apartment complex. Or right. He's like been that. there like forever. Yeah. Forever. Right. So anyway, where where we go? I don't care. Oh, well, where well, we go he, from here? The, he goes out. It's nighttime, and he mm-hmm. and he 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 because he knows that people that somebody is swimming in the pool after hours. Right. So he's outside at night, and he hears somebody splashing in the pool, and he looks around, yeah. but he can't see anybody. Right. And he walks around, and he hears somebody splashing again, and he's like, ah, "I'm going to catch whoever it is." And, and then he sees a doggy. He sees the yeah yeah the yeah and then he's and then someone if from someone reaches out and grabs something that somebody left at the pool oh, that's side. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm. and he's and he falls into the pool and like hits his head and falls into the pool. Mm-hmm. And he dies in the. And he dies over. in the movie's over. And we all walk out of the theater and we think, well, that was short, but you know, it was a little weird, was, but whatever. Uh, that's all right. No, What's no, he he gets rescued. By who? By a naked lady. Oh yeah, he wakes up. What he wakes up in his apartment, and there's this naked lady there. Yeah, and and, and thankfully she put a shirt. She on. She put a shirt on, so she's not totes naked, but she's still mostly naked. She's mostly naked throughout this entire. Yeah, she's movie. pretty much naked for the whole movie, and and he's like, uh-huh. "Hey, naked lady, you can't be here." You, yeah, that's against the rules. I'm I as and a I as a grown up cannot have a naked lady in my apartment. That's right. Also, I don't know who you are. Did you rape me? Why? Yeah. Just out of curiosity. Exactly. Because you're naked. Yeah. What happened here? And, uh, also, should I get ice for my concussion? Yeah. I should probably because, go to a hospital. Uh, I, I was knocked unconscious. I hit my head so hard that I was knocked unconscious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she's like, my name is Story, and I'm, and and then he falls asleep again or something. Yes. He falls asleep again, and he wakes up, and she's curled up on his on his lap. Yeah. And he's, and he's uh, like, what am I going to do with you? Yeah. And a wacky buddy hijinks caper starts. And he notices, to his astonishment, that when he talks to her, he ain't stuttering no more. That's right. When she's around, he doesn't stutter. Mm. And he goes, I says, out loud, because we're fucking idiots. My stutter is gone. Or something along yeah. those lines. How else are we going to know? Or do you think we're supposed to notice that? But then, is this when he tries to pick her up and take her outside? Yeah, he tells her he's going to take her home, and she right. doesn't want to leave. Like, she's she's really, you know, scared. And they go outside, and that's when they see the the the, 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 the evil grass dog, the evil bush dog. It's a dog. It comes out of grass. It's a dog made out of it's grass. It's a dog made out of grass, bad. and it's real mean. And he starts screaming, and she starts screaming, and they run back to his place. Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay, yep, great. Yep, yep. But now she tells him some stuff. She says she's a narf. She's a narf, and the dog was a scrunt. And they're bad. And scrunts are bad. And he's like, and, oh, but okay. She should, but there are, like, protectors that will stop the scrunts. Then they look like apes or something. Yeah, I don't think we find that out yet, but, yeah, that's part of the story. That yeah, that, I don't yeah. give a shit and what are when they, we yeah. find it out or how. They're, and, 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 boy, we, we get to see them eventually, and that's that's something. Uh huh. Yeah. But then he goes out and he runs back into um, what's face soon young young soon. young soon young soon and um, apropos of nothing he asks her if she knows what a narf is and it just so happens that she knows exactly what a narf is 
Because narf sounds like a Chinese word, doesn't it? Sure, and narf. yeah, her mom knows the whole story. You want to know something about narfs? Let's go up and have a painfully long translation scene. Yeah, not for the last time. Not for the last time. And she goes up there and her mom doesn't want to talk to him. And she explains that narfs are water spirits. And I don't know, Steve. I don't. I don't. It just goes on like this forever. It does. There's yeah. There's a lot of exposition of of, of very poorly thought out things. Right. Yeah. And then oh well, he thought they were very well thought out. Right. Sure, he did. Anyway, when does he find out why she's here? Um. Well, because right, like she can't say why she's here. Right. There's some kind of bullshit where like she can't actually tell him why she's here. But but. Uh, but uh, Young Soon's mom tells him that narfs are narfs are are sent to help one particular person. So he goes back to Story and he's like, "Hey, I think I know why you're here. So now that I know that you're here to help one particular person, can you tell me anything about the person that you're here to help?" And she's like, "Yeah, okay, sure." And she says that she's here to help a writer. She's here to motivate a writer. Ah. And he's like, "Okay." So we get this scene where he's going to the different people's apartments like to fix stuff and do like, you know, super landlord stuff. And he asks all of them, "You wouldn't happen to be writing a book, would you? You wouldn't happen to be writing anything, yeah. would you?" That's where we meet Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright, who does crossword puzzles. That's and his, his son thing. Who who looks at cereal boxes? Because that's a thing. And he interprets colors or something. something. Yeah. He's like, this car makes me sad. This dialogue makes me hurt yeah. inside. Not daddy. Yeah. Because you're an actor. And then and and then he and then he meets. He goes over and he, to the apartment where the the smokers are. And that's when I squint at my TV and go, Oh God, that is Jared Harris. And then I start to cry. <laughs> I just cry and cry that's and right. cry. And he's like, What do you you guys are right? And they're like, No. And he keeps wandering around, but then he finds who's Well, he's, he's I guess, downstairs or something there, and he's walking down the hallway. Laundry but, yeah, room. He's, yeah, laundry. he's passing him on their way to the laundry room, and it's Vic, who is played by M. Night Shyamalan. And M. Night Shyamalan says, hey, that light bulb above my writing desk hasn't been fixed yet. And, Get it? and he's like, it, it takes him a minute, which is weird because he's just spent all day looking for anybody who might be a writer. And then it, he's mm-hmm. he's almost out the door. He's he's down at the end of the hallway and around the corner. And then he, he comes back and he's like, writing desk. You don't happen to do any writing at that writing desk, do you? And, you know, he's found his writer. Steve, yeah. At some point during all this madness, mm-hmm. he called animal control. Yeah, for the doggy. For the mean dog. Yeah. And animal control is like, whatever. Th- there's no animals. I don't give a shit about my job. I brought an embarrassingly small cage to capture yeah, something. Yeah, I thought I was after a and squirrel, I me. guess. Yeah. And it's a green dog. Although I'm sure you said that over the phone. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll, I'll, we'll look around the forest or whatever. Bye, Steve. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he call the police? Oh, that's a good question. This naked lady yeah. showed up. Yeah, yeah. She says she's a narf. Can someone please come and get her? Yeah, I think she needs help. 
uh-huh, but instead, she's just going to stay in my apartment. Yep. Never change into clothes. Nope. She's only going to be wearing the shirt. At one point, she's going to strip naked so she can be in the shower because she likes the wah-wah mm-hmm. woo-woo, and she's just going to walk around naked. And here's here's another important part. Even though she looks exactly like a normal human being, and she never does anything magic, because the only thing she's done for him so far is save him from a swimming pool, which anybody who could swim could have done. That's right. He unquestioningly accepts the NARF story right away. Right. And so does... he has to, because that's part of the thing. And so does everybody else who hears it. I know, because it's magic. Oh, is that it? I don't know. (laughs) I'm just grasping at the fucking straws. Anyway, he finds out that whatever his name is, is a writer. Yeah. And he's been writing something called The Cookbook. Yeah. Is it a cookbook? No. But that's what he's calling it. What kind of book is it, Steve? Um. Well, I mean, when I hear <laughs> my first thought was, oh, is it the anarchist's cookbook? Is it a bomb-making manual? <laughs> Apparently not. Um, it's a book about, <laughs> he says it's a book about, like, you know, just his thoughts and stuff. Because everyone will want to hear yeah. about his thoughts. It's like an it's like a, a book of, of essays or or you know screeds about society or something like that. Is he a former philosopher who's down on his luck, and this is a book of philo- philosophical things? I don't Steve? I don't think so. Or is he just some Jackberg who lives with his sister? Who thinks that what he's writing is important, it's, but he's like, no, one, no, 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 you know, whatever. It's the I second care. one. It's the second one. It's the Jack Bird one. That's what he is. It's the okay. Jack Bird one. But, oh, goody, we found the writer, and he rushes home, and she's naked, and what happens? Do they? He meets her. He invites her over. Yeah. Well, he, he invites, he him, invites over. him over on some bullshit pretense, and, 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 and Vic meets Story, and they have a moment, and then Vic goes back home, and now he can write. He's now, because he was, he had, like, writer's block. But now his writer's block is gone because he looked at a narf once. And so he just sits down at his computer, right? His I, He has a typewriter, doesn't he? Yeah, because he, yeah, does. he writers in movies don't have computers. That's silly. No, they have an old-timey they have typewriter, typewriter from 1942. Yeah, they write, they write on old mechanical Underwood typewriters. Yeah. Right, and he writes about 300 pages in a day. Sure he does. That's how it works. Uh, <laughs> That's how it works. That's how writing works. Everybody knows you sit down at a typewriter and you type out a first draft with no corrections and it's hundreds of pages a day and it's perfect and the book is done. Mm-hmm. But then what else happens? I don't. Oh, I really well, don't she, know. She, she has to go home. Oh, that's right. She, her job is done. Yeah. All she had to do was stand in the presence. There's no inspiration nope. here. No interaction. She just has to stand in the presence of this doofus. And he goes, ooh. They, they call it uh, that feeling of pins and needles. They, they say it's uh, like a pins and needles feeling, right? Yeah. And he goes home and he just jerks off on paper. And, and it's brilliant. Now it's time for her to go home. And what has to happen is a giant bird yeah. has to land and take her home. Yep. Right? Yep. Easy. Yep, absolutely. Easy. Could, you couldn't fuck it up if you tried. Except the scrunt is still out there. Dun, dun, dun. And when she and and the scrunt's going to try to fuck her up. So, but she thinks that Paul Giamatti's character is is her guardian. Right, because apparently all these people have been drawn to this place to where she's going to be deposited, mm-hmm. and they all live here because they've all been drawn because that's what. And he's the guardian. There's supposed to be a guardian and a healer and a council of five and yep. a tailor and a candle maker. Yep, and a, and a butcher and a baker. That's right. 
and you know, you know, a press agent, and of course your publicist, because you don't mm-hmm. want them to do be doing two jobs. You want to hire right, two of course people not. for that. You need Personal an agent assistant. and a manager. Yeah, that's right. You need yeah. both. You don't. You don't want them doing double duty. That's too much no. work. For a manager person. is not an agent. A manager right. is not going to find you work. You need that's an right. agent and you a manager a f- and a fashion consultant. So exactly. Good when you make public appearances. Exactly. And, you know, you got to make sure that your publicity agent has set you up on all of the social media platforms. You have to hire people who are going to write your tweets. You don't want to do it yourself. You get no. a lot of trouble, right, Gina no. Carrero? You need a, anyway. yeah. <laughs> you need a social media person, exactly. <laughs> but all of these people are supposed to be people that fill these roles, right? Yes, yes. And she and thinks dis- that... Despite Cle- the fact that we have been told at this point that Paul Giamatti's character used to be a doctor... Before mm-hmm. all of his family were killed by bad guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. He's in grieving. He's in mourning. He's a sad man. He's known tragedy. We only in his life. know that because we're told that. Yes. Story tells us. Not because he's acting a particular way. No. He seems pretty happy where he is. He does. He knows a lot of people. Yeah. He's He's doing work. Yeah. Yeah, It seems like not a bad life, really. Oh, remember when he gets called over to that one apartment where the guy's in the bathroom all the time? Yeah. And they needed the toilet fix, but he was taking too long. And so they called another another thing and his wife is blabbing to him, right? Yeah. Save that for later. That's going to be important. That's right. Just like Reggie. Uh, Yep. Anyway, uh, don't they try to send her home? He tries to send her home once. Yeah, because well, she she thinks that he's the guardian, which would right. mean that he can that he can take care of the scrunt. So she sends him outside with a mirror because you can only see, when a scrunt is hiding, you can only see it through the mirror at first. And also, right. she's tell she's telling him all this through a walkie-talkie. That she knows how to use because yeah, that she knows her. how to use, and also it, because the rule about not being able to tell you things goes out the window whenever the screenplay needs it to. That's right. Sometimes <laughs> she's not allowed to. Sometimes she's not allowed to tell you anything. Other times she can tell you anything. She can you blab need to know. on and on. It about just depends. Whatever it is you just need like there's know. a whole thing about how. There's a whole thing about how she can't tell, she can't say who each person is, and uh, she. Oh, and also, it turns out she turns out to be like a really important narf. But oh she, yeah, she's gonna go home and be the grand narf or whatever. Yeah, but she didn't know because that's important because people don't get to know who they turn out to be except for when she tells M Night Shyamalan's character everything that's gonna happen to him in his future, and he right. doesn't ask. She volunteers. She says, right. "Do you want to know what happens to you in your future?" And he's like, "Yeah," because I guess even though she can't tell anybody anything, sometimes she can tell people everything, even that's if right. they don't what ask. What she tells him is, "You're gonna write a book," and someone from the Midwest. West is going to read that book and they're going to become a great orator and they're going to spread your message all over the place and oh yeah you're going to die someone's yeah, going to kill you it. for yeah. having written the book just like in all the other cases where someone becomes inspired by a book the, they kill the author right yep. right steve every single time every book you've ever read that inspired you was written by a person who was murdered Christ. And you know it's true. You know uh-huh. it's true. So anyway, so yeah, he goes out and tries to stop. So the you scrunt. understand, just so you understand, the writer is writing, but he's carrying a heavy burden. Yes, of course he is. Of course anyway. he is. It's a very important thing that he's doing, and now he has to to have this this knowledge, this terrible anyway, knowledge. They're going to send own the bird fate. away, and they, she gets attacked, and she gets hurt. 
Yeah, she gets yeah yeah the, yeah the, she, exactly. And uh, so she gets hurt. So Paul Giamatti goes back to to um, his his wacky Asian neighbor, and he's like, I need more information about this stupid myth. And she's like, Okay, um, actually, no, she. She's on like the phone. Child. She's on the phone. So we have another extended translation scene, except this time she's on the phone and he has to keep handing mm. the phone to her mom back and forth. Anyway, it turns That's out... That's funny. The, it's, oh, it's hilarious. So it turns out that narfs have... Uh, when narfs get hurt, they have magic mud that they can use to heal themselves. Right. But she keeps it... She keeps it in a little cave that she lives in under the pool. That she made. That she made without anybody seeing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And and it's like a little aerial cave because mm-hmm. yes. number one, Paul Giamatti can hold his breath forever. Oh yes, and apparently. He dives down into the cave. He finds a little aerial cave which has like silverware and yeah. stuff, but also the mud. Yeah. And he brings the mud back and he fixes her up and she's great, right? Yep, everything's great. Then they try to do the thing where she still thinks that he's the guardian and he goes out with the mirror and that's when she gets fucked up. Yeah, she gets hurt real bad, yeah. Yeah, and by real bad I mean she has scratches on her legs. Yeah. And she and also like she she's she's that turning don't pale. Bleed. <laughs> yeah. She has scratches on her legs that don't bleed, but she's turning real pale. She's starting to look like E. T., you know, when they find him in the riverbed there. Wait, we're getting um, this thing all messed up. So anyway, he's involved everybody, right? And he's yeah. trying to find all the people who are the things and he thinks the lady who had a butterfly land on him is the ah, healer. Yeah. Well, and, because because he goes to the movie critic and the movie critic Oh, that's right. Tells him what to look for. But he's wrong, isn't he? Steve? He's wrong about everything. That's Why right. would you trust a movie critic? He also says things that aren't tropes. Yeah. Not any foreseeable trope that I've ever seen in any movie. But apparently he's he's a jerk. He's he a jerk. He the wrong information. And then what they say is they think that uh, that Drury is the guy who's the symbologist who can translate things, right? Right, right. Because now she's in a bathroom. She's in a, she's in a shower stall and she's never coming out again. Right. And they're literally having to play charades with her because she's stopped talking. Mm-hmm. And the sister of of Ron is now doing translations um, because she said she can't say anything about what's going on. So that right. So she's Jesus given like Christ. coach. She's give, she's given baseball coach signals like whenever it's a yes or a uh, right. no answer or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they so we got to get all the guys together. And so they're gonna get all the guys together. And so he thinks that it's Jeffrey Wright mm-hmm. who is the symbologist because he does crossword puzzles. Yeah. And he, they think that the what are they the not the guardians the what the team the super oh yeah dudes, the. the the, the guild. The guild. The guild. It's supposed to be five dudes, right? Yeah. Later on, it yeah, turns it's, out it's, to be seven dudes. But anyway, right. oh, who cares? five dudes. And he thinks that those guys who sit around smoking. Right. He has them all into the bathroom, and they're like, Jeffrey Rush, tell me what's going on. And he's like, okay, well, if I interpret my crossword puzzle, I'm not making this shit up. If, if this I is all in the movie. my crossword puzzle correctly... Um, then we need to throw a party and there needs to be music. And when that happens, then the eagle will come and take her home. Won't that be great? And they go, yay, let's throw a party. And so they, they, they're going to throw a party for the new tenant, which is the, oh, the evil reviewer guy. Yeah. And remember, they're all going off of what the reviewer guy told Paul Giamatti to do. And um, there's a reason why we left the narfs in the ocean. (laughs) Because they're shitty. They're shitty. 
They're shitty people who have the most elaborate and stupid ways that they can... I mean, Jesus Christ, Steve. It's bad. I mean, it's bad. So they, they're going to have a party. They have the party. Everyone's like, yay, we're doing it. Except now they, the band doesn't play. And then uh, the, nar- the scrunt captures her and drags, drags her, her away ba- yeah. into the forest. Because remember, okay, so... Here's some other things. The scrunts aren't supposed to attack her, Steve. Right. They say that several times. The scrunts are not allowed to attack her, but this one wants to attack her. Oh, well, that's because she's going to be go home and she's going to become the high narf of the ocean or whatever. And that's just too good of a target for the scrunts to ignore. And you're like, well, where are the, where are the ape ape guardians that are supposed to be you know, here to stop the scrunt no <laughs> they're just not here they're just not showing up for just, some reason no they're just not here for some reason they grab her they give her more scratches on her legs they bring her inside they give her to the healer and she's like trying to heal her and that's when they discover that they're all working off of the advice from the narrator from the narrator from the from, <laughs> from the, the critic mo- from the movie critic and they're like, what kind of man? They, I mean, the, the level of, I am the director-writer saying this out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. They're like, what kind of man could... could uh, it was so arrogant to, you know, um, to, assume to, they know someone's intention. Yeah. Right? Well, number one, no one has explained to the writer what's going to the critic what's going on. No, not a single person. No, people just walk up and ask him weird fucking questions about movie plots, and he answers them the best he can. He does give very arrogant, not critic answers. Right, but he's not intending to mislead anyone. No, but they're all angry at him now because they don't know what to do. And um, Dad Jeffrey Wright says, oh, well, I never felt that I, what I was saying was correct. I, didn't, I don't think I'm the symbologist. I've known it from the very beginning. I didn't say anything because the plot needed this for whatever fucking reason. <laughs> and then uh, the, the um, oh God. they leave a door open and a dog gets in. And the and it, yeah. critic gets killed while talking out loud, even though earlier in the film he's, he literally said, people said their, what do they say? They said their emotions out loud. They say, they, they say their in, thoughts in movie out loud, that he's yeah. Said, thoughts yeah. Out, out loud, who does that? And I'm like, you're right. No one does that, except in bad movie, except in bad movie scripts. But Emily Chamelon seems to think that's not a fair criticism, and I'm going to have him die by him saying his thoughts out loud in the hallway, or he's by himself, and then he gets killed by a monster that I created. That'll be great, right? Yeah, fuck you, entire field of film criticism. <laughs> I made one movie that people didn't like so good, and I hate everybody. That's right. Everyone's supposed to love me unconditionally. Otherwise, you don't know what you're saying. What about the people that gave you praise for your first two films? Fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? I don't need, I mean, I don't need them. Anyway, they get their shit straight now. They figured out who is who. So the little boy... Turns out the little boy is actually the symbologist, right? Yeah, exactly. Because he reads and the cereal boxes. I was just going to say, we cut to a scene of him reading the cereal boxes. Yep. And it turns yep. out they don't need five, they don't need, they need five sisters. Oh, hey, those five sisters that we saw briefly at the beginning of the, of the movie. Oh. And, we, and then two more characters that were never mentioned by anybody. And that is a man who has no secrets, and what's the other one? A man who is respected, or something like that. 
Yeah. Yeah, a man or whose opinion some. everybody respects, and that's the Bill Irwin right. guy. Yeah. And why? Because he he talked once to Paul Giamatti. I guess. Once. Yeah. I like he what? Said, are, I don't I, even know what his opinions are. Why would I respect yeah, his he opinions? Sits in his apartment and watches television all day. He said once, "You need to stop. You need to let your pain go," or some bullshit. I don't remember. It was you gotta because he knows that Paul Giamatti lost his family and that he used to be a doctor. Yeah. And he's like, "You can't be here forever. You should go be a doctor." Or some shit and i guess that qualifies because they grab those two guys too they get okay so the man with no secrets is the man in the bathroom who we've never seen and they build it up to the sequence where he's going to open the door come out of the bathroom like we've been wanting that yeah like like this is a payoff and he's just some dude in a bathrobe yeah and then we grab the other guy and now they're all surrounding our surrounding story because she's dying from the scratches in her leg and um, they realize that Paul Giamatti is the healer, not the lady. And he grabs her, and everyone touches his back. And he apologizes to his family for not being there to having saved them. It's supposed to be super emotional. And ping, ping, pong, her legs are healed. Right? Yay! She's better. She's all better. And, and she's, she's a blonde now. And she's a blonde now. What does it but mean? I don't I fucking don't know. Care. Probably nothing. Who cares? They gotta get her home, so they take her out to the pool again. They're yep. all outside, and oh no, the scrunt's coming again. And they do this a couple of times. They have a POV of the scrunt attacking, and it runs right up to somebody, and then stops. And then it stops, yeah. Paul Giamatti turns around, and there's the oh-so-scary scrunt. He reaches down for a pool tool to fight it off, but oh, hey, then... She sees the guardian, right? Yeah, the guy who only works out on one side. And he turns around and... No, actually, it's Paul Giamatti turns around. And he, he goes, oh my god. And then is usually when you would reverse cut to show who they're oh godding about. But instead he said, oh my god. And then he starts calling the person's name. Reggie, don't stop looking him in the eyes. You got him. You got this. And we're like, so you just ruined the visual reveal by having someone shout it out loud? Yeah. I mean, I had forgotten what the guy's name was, so it didn't really make a difference to me. But yeah, if but I had remembered his name was Reggie. And you look, oh, look, it's a Dick Tracy villain or something. It's, because it's he's the got guy. one huge misshapen arm. It's the guy with the foam fake arm that they didn't have the budget to color correct. So it's, it's a different skin who, tone than the rest who, of him. Has not been involved in anything that's been going on up to this point. No, had his introductory scene and then nothing else. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you, you do it. And he pushes the scrunt back into the forest. And then the guardian monkeys show up. Thank God. And they beat up the scrunt and they drag him, in, drag him into, the, into the forest. And now it's time for her to leave. Yeah. And he gives her a hug and he says, thank you for saving my life. At which point I said, at no point did we think this person was sad until he started crying while holding her to heal her by apologizing to his family. <laughs> yes. Yes. Did he have the greatest life in the world? I don't know, because he didn't want to pay to shoot any scenes in a hospital or at another location for him to find his wife and children or him talk about it to at least one other person because, shh, it's a secret. <laughs> no one at the apartment complex knows. And then a giant eagle. <laughs> yep, a giant eagle. In a shot that is filmed from under the water in the fucking pool yep because you gotta disguise that cgi somehow picks up the eagle because all the cgi is at night there's no yeah. daytime that's, CGI that's another thing too yeah yeah 
in the rain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's now raining because the storm clouds. The eagle comes down, picks her up somehow in her wings, and he flies away. And we get this extended shot of this giant bird flying and flying away. And then we get a shot of all the people watching the bird fly away. And uh, she does say one last thing to Ramalama Ding Dong. She's like, oh, don't worry. Your sister has eight kids. And you're going to see two of them. And he's like, thanks for bringing that up again. And then you're toast. But he's like, don't let her know. And she's like, I'm leaving. I'm not telling her jack shit. Anyway, so then the bird flies away. We cut to Paul Giamatti. Again, shot from under the water. So we cannot see his facial expression or anything like that. It's not a tight close of his face as he's nope. feeling emotions that he ever felt before. No, but shot from the water. The end. Fuck you. The end. And you know how M. Night Shyamalan movies always end with a twist. And the twist to this movie is this is actually the movie. This is the movie. This we is keep the waiting for something movie. to happen. And we're going to be like, no, this isn't really the movie, is it? Nope. No. The twist is this is the movie. He really made this movie. Anything would have been better. You know what ending I would like? Paul Giamatti strapped to a medical gurney in a mental hospital screaming. That would have been a great ending to the movie. You know what would have been a great ending to the movie? Tim Night Shyamalan sitting on the bed of his children, closing the book, and the child gets up and slaps him directly in the face. That would be a great ending to this movie. Just let me go to sleep, Dad. You know what would be a great ending to this movie? Immediately what? cut to the, 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 the face of a stunned movie producer behind their desk as they drop their coffee cup and ask, Is that it? And, he, and M. Night Shyamalan storming out of the office. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan says, and you'll never guess what it's called. The Aristocrats. <laughs> Steve? Yes? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about this <sighs> thing we do? How do you feel about this thing that we have chosen to do? <laughs> How do I feel about the choices I've made in my life that have brought me <laughs> here? So, uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> What a dumb, boring movie. Oh, my God. This is, and that's really, that's the worst thing that I can say about it. I, I had never seen it before watching it for Neither this. Had I. Neither I, had I. I knew it by reputation. Yep. Um, I don't think it's quite as bad as its reputation suggests, because its reputation says that it's like one of the worst movies ever. I don't think it's that bad, but that doesn't mean it's good, because it's not. No. It's It's terrible. Um, and I mean, we've mentioned this already, but God damn it! Look at the talent that is wasted in this film. Oh sure. I mean, these are some literally, especially with like with Bill Irwin and uh, Jared Harris. These are some of my favorite actors in the world. And, Jared Harris, uh, Jeffrey Wright, all, almost Jeffrey all Wright. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, Balaban and Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti is is a brilliant actor, and I, I and I, I wasn't kidding. I didn't actually break down in tears, but I had like a moment where I had when I when I first realized that fucking Jared Harris was one of the fucking stoner guys in the next apartment. I actually paused <laughs> it. I paused it and confirmed that it was him. And I was like, oh my fucking god, why is Jared Harris in this movie? And since he is, why isn't he given anything to do? Like, right. I mean, you know, but and and also, you know. M. Night Shyamalan himself is a talent that is wasted in this film. He has demonstrated in most in, in work previous to this 
that he is capable of being a terrific writer and director. Has he? I think Sixth Sense and, Un- and, and Unbreakable are terrific movies. Um, I'm even kind of a fan of Signs. I think Signs, Signs is, is better than Signs people. Signs is actually a fine movie. Signs is much better than a lot of people give it. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous. But but it, Signs is a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for. As far as a suspense movie goes, up to a point, it's great. Yeah, I agree. There's filmmaking of a high order going on there. But I mean, mm-hmm. so but but here, I mean, the writing is a mess. We get scene after scene that is nothing but exposition. It's Paul mm-hmm. Giamatti. Paul Giamatti really having to work those acting muscles to try and anchor these scenes where it's nothing but his character just standing there waiting to have things explained to him. Mm-hmm. That's it. There are multiple scenes in this movie where that is all it is. And then the the mythology that's being described is so ridiculous. And it might work in the context of a, of a bedtime story. It might even work in the context of like a children's film or, or maybe something like a Tim Burton film, like an Edward Scissorhands type of thing that has more of a whimsical tone. It does not work here at all. The tone is completely wrong. It just comes across as ridiculous and contrived and inconsistent. And it's just it's just bad. And and that's just the writing. Even the direction feels mostly half-assed and elementary. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Shyamalan can be a really visually strong director. And there are little flashes of that here and there, but mostly it just plays like he thought he was directing something for TV. It feels like he was hired to direct this. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there are lots of shots of characters just entering and exiting static medium shots. And yep. and, and there's lots of just really basic, like, shot reverse shot stuff. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of that. That's fundamental to cinema. But, I mean, it gets the mm. job done. It tells the story. But it feels like... The guy who directed The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable ought to be setting a higher standard, especially when he's shooting his own script. It, it's just it's it's baffling how badly directed it is, considering it's his script and it's his movie. I'll give you an um, example of this movie. Yeah. When we finally see M. Night Shyamalan, he's in a hallway. Yeah. Way at the end with his sister. They have some business with the laundry. Yeah. Right? Paul Giamatti is at the other end. And I was looking at that scene going, why did he shoot it? So that they're far back, right? Those are supposed to be, you know, if you're, you're shooting someone fall back in a hall, you know, far back in a hallway or some other enclosed space, that is a shot that you do for making the person seem isolated, mm-hmm. right? Usually, the, you know, the tone of that is isolation. Yeah. This is just a, some business between him and his sister, as they talk to Paul Giamatti, who is off camera, yeah. right, at that point. And I'm watching that going, what decision did he make to make us think that this was an important shot that needed to be shot this way? Two people with laundry talking about, I forget even, the book? Yeah, something like that. Whatever it is, something like that. It's like we get, when you're shot that far away, you have no emotion, you can't see what what emotions are being uh, put on the actors' faces, you know, everything gets muted. It's only a shot that you would use for a main speaking character if you wanted them to look isolated and alone, but he shot two people at the end of a hallway. And I'm like, what's the point of this? Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm sure he insisted on the shot, or maybe he thought it was, you know, it was saying something, but whatever it was 
that he was trying to say, it failed. Yeah. It was like the, the shots that he had from under the water of the pool. I'm sure he thought, oh, it'll be cool. It'll mesh it in. You know, the pool was this magical place where they met. But the water's rippling so badly that you can't see anybody. Yeah. This is supposed to be an emotionally impactful scene for the main character who we've been following through this entire thing. And we don't get a tight close-up of that character as she's watching the bird fly away. Instead, we get the, 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 the same shot that we got in fucking Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. When the, with the corpse floating in the That's pool. right, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's, it's, no it's, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, yeah, and so he cast himself in the movie and he cast himself as as the prophet you know as mm-hmm. as the person who's going to write the most important book ever and the 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 human villain in the film is the film critic who isn't even mm-hmm. a good film critic who is just this joyless bastard who just right. seems to hate movies and hate everybody and um mm-hmm. and and so because of that he the even mo- tries to defend fucking tropes tired tropes yeah the film critic says oh it was a romantic comedy and they have to confess each other's sins in the rain why does it seem like movie characters always have to do that outside in the rain who in the world stands outside in the rain and does that and who is it that counter contradicts him paul giamatti Giamatti. it's cleveland yeah he says well it's like a metaphor for for purification for purification and the critic literally says out loud no you're wrong and I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Get over yourself. Yeah. Buddy, if you can't take a little criticism, get out of the business now. Because I seen your future, dumbass. <laughs> and it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Well, it's like, you know, here's an idea. Just count your fucking money. God <laughs> damn it. Like it's one thing if like if you're like a struggling like art filmmaker or like an independent yeah. director and you just can't seem to get anything off the ground and you feel like every time you release a movie the critics are just dogging you and dogging you and dogging you. I still don't think it's going to be the critics' fault, but I can no. understand having some resentment toward the critics if you're like a struggling filmmaker and you can't get over with anybody, right? But I mean, if you're the guy who directed The Sixth Sense like seven years before this, and mm-hmm. and you're like this not only critically celebrated but really popular, successful director, and you're this thin-skinned about a, a at this point a minority of movie critics not digging your shit, or because you made one movie, The Village, that people thought was kind of dumb, it was like kinda so-so. And yeah, that. like you're this upset about it that a a huge portion of the running time of your next movie is just based on taking the piss out of film critics in a really really petty churlish way. Childish. Like, that's way. that's yeah. Juvenile, like total, like juvenile. I mean, it. Yeah, that doesn't say he made that decision. There needed to be a character that leads the other characters astray, and he made the decision to make that character a movie critic. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so so that 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 is what a lot of people pinpoint when they talk about Shyamalan's uh, hubris in making this film. Mm-hmm. But I think that his hubris, his hubris really comes through the strongest in the conception of the movie itself. The fact that he thought he could tell this story in this way, with this tone and style, and pull it off. That oh, is, that is hubris. It. I'll tell you something right now. If this story had been stretched to 12 episodes, it's a Netflix series. 
That's it, all it is. It's a Netflix series. There's a mystery going on. We discover a little bit more as we go through it. We get mm-hmm. to know the characters better. Maybe they're written down because there's so much fucking exposition in this <laughs> that you wouldn't need it yes. over 12 episodes. And you wouldn't care how dippy it was because things are being fed to you gradually over time. You actually feel something for story, no matter how dumb her name is. Because yeah. by the time you hit, you know, you're starting getting the big reveals as you're going through it. Hopefully, by that point, you have become attached to the characters. You know who they are. And now you can have things starting to pay off that were introduced earlier, right? Yeah. The stuff he introduces earlier has no connective tissue to the fucking story at all, right? No. The five the five daughters and the, and the, and the father, right? Yeah. All we see them do, he kills a bug and then he leaves, right? Yeah. Movies are supposed to be about setup, payoff. Right. Yeah. By that point, we don't even remember no. this family. Well, just like the guy, the the guy with the working out on one arm. Yeah. He has he gets one scene and then you never see him again. Or he might be in the background or something, but he doesn't do anything. Right. Well, what's the setup? No setup. No setup. Except there's a guy. <laughs> and the payoff is, is we're supposed to go. Oh, it's Reggie. It's like who was that? Oh. Was that his name? Okay. <laughs> and if there was a metaphor about him just working out one arm, what yeah. was it? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, I think I, I think Shyamalan is the one working out with one arm. Um, <laughs> he was writing this script. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, that's that to me is the hubris that that he thought he could pull this off in this way. And because the thing is, is that despite this outstanding cast, and it, I mean, it, it's one it's one of the best cast bad movies I've ever seen. Um, it just, he doesn't even come close to pulling it off. It is such a, it's, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. I don't think it deserves to be on like worst movie ever lists, but it is such a colossal total misfire in every way that it's, it's, I mean, it deserves to be studied. It should be studied for what not to do. Not because it's the worst movie ever, but because with almost every creative decision that you can see it went in the wrong direction and the result is mm-hmm. that it's just it's just a mess it's just a dumb boring mess um so yeah no not uh not recommended for me my friend not recommended for me i've interjected so much i don't think i need to put my two cents in <laughs> at this point i honestly don't did you like I mean, the movie I, jason did you like the movie no, jason? i didn't you're right this thing was fucking boring and the only thing that you ever piques your interest are these great performances at one point. When Paul Giamatti is apologizing to his family, that's a great performance. It comes out of nowhere. We yeah. were never really set up for it. We never really saw him actually being, uh, you know, grieving, being depressed, right? Yeah. And then it comes out of nowhere where he has to heal her by confessing that he misses them or something. He has to say it out loud or some bullshit, right? Yeah. There are rules to world building. And one of the ways you don't build a world is by having everyone talk about it. It's just not something you do. Suddenly, characters are motivated to help this woman. And not a single one of them says, have you called the cops yet? Not one. No, nobody. Not a single one. Did you also happen to notice that aside from the main characters who are involved with the plot, everybody else that lived in the apartment building was about 22 years old? Weird, huh? Yeah, it's almost as if he didn't give a second thought about who 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 else lived in the apartment complex. Only the important people, you know. I think I don't like him. I don't like him. He's made nothing but shit. And here's the thing. I like, you know, The Sixth Sense I haven't seen in a long time, and I'm really worried that when we're eventually going to review it, that when I do, I'm going to go, oh, shit. 
It was present the entire time, and I didn't notice it before. You know, this and Unbreakable were good. I'm okay on signs. The Village had a couple of moments that were great, but the rest of it was predictable and very boring. And the rest of his movies after this don't get better. They don't. I know that some people said Split was good. Didn't see it. Yeah, Everyone see it kept hailing, this is the return of M. Night Shyamalan. And I'm like, just give him a minute. Give him a minute. <laughs> just wait. Don't get too excited yet. He is obviously someone that at one point, at this point in his career, he thought he knew better. Yes. He thought he knew it. better. He thought that he had become a master of his kind. It's amazing how young he looks in this movie, isn't it? Yeah. He looks like he's, what, 28, maybe? And apparently he's become the god. He's now the new, he's now the new, uh, you know, Spielberg. Because Spielberg was young when he hit big, right? Yeah. But Spielberg hit big with a couple of movies. He did have a turkey there, but then he came out strong again. And he apparently thinks himself to be this master of suspense or whatever. But I have never been more bored in my entire life than sitting here watching these people give half information or watch scene after scene of people having to drag information out of somebody. Yeah. To top yeah. that off, he puts in shots that, for example, the shot of the guy coming out of the toilet, that is shot as if it's a build-up to something big, mm -hmm. right? Slow pan away from the, uh, from the door of the bathroom where everyone's standing there waiting for him to come out. And then he just, uh, the door opens and it's just a dude. Yep. Who has no idea what's going on, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but goes along with it because everybody goes uh, along with it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like, this is why, I mean, here's the thing. He won't get this budget again. <laughs> and he won't get this kind of leeway again. I am absolutely flabbergasted whenever someone says that he's making another movie. I am completely shocked. And it, okay, the only thing that I can think of is he knows how to blow smoke up producers' asses at this point. Right? And he's done, he's, I mean, Jesus Christ. What was the movie with Will Smith? The Vanity Project, made by the oh, worst director in Hollywood? After was Earth. After Earth. You know, the star vehicle for for Will Smith's son. Yeah. Um, or Avatar, Avatar The Last Airbender. He openly admitted, never watched the show. Was just going to do whatever he wanted to do. The fans literally... I signed a petition to stop him from making the movie. <laughs> because I love that show. And I don't, it spoiled me on this. I didn't go see it because I heard people said it was bad. And I listen to people when they say it's bad. And I'm like, well, I'll see it. I'll catch it some other time. Well, now I've caught up with it. And, <laughs> you know, it's not a hidden gem. It's not like, you know, I'm sure that there are people out there. I saw some of the five-star reviews. And, and one of them was like, yeah, critics don't know anything. They are joyless. And it's like, great. Thanks for spreading that around. Thanks. Thanks for spreading that around, Shyamalan. And so I'm kind of like, when I watch it, there's... There's no reason to watch the fucking thing. It's a story told badly. Yeah. And he, it doesn't even look like it went through, I don't know, one draft. We're just lucky yeah. it's not three to four hours long. Oh, my God. At this point. So, yeah, fuck it. Fuck this movie. Not a classic. Steve, recommend something good. I'm okay. <laughs> I am, so, the movie I'm going to recommend, I, I can't specifically remember if I've recommended it before. I may have, because it's one of my favorite Doesn't films. Doesn't matter anymore. It's one of my favorite films from the last 15 or 20 years or so. Um, okay. And it also stars Bill Irwin who, as I mentioned, is one of my favorite actors. And, and he's in... Yeah. A, Bill Irwin has been in a lot of stuff. He's in a lot of TV. He usually plays, like, yep. supporting roles or sort of, you know, a guy who kind of pops up. Um, every once in a while, he gets 
to actually do some real serious acting and play a character and and remind you that oh shit he can act and he's yeah. and he's great and so the movie I'm going to recommend is Rachel Getting Married. I'm not sure if I've recommended you it before. You have. You've done but, it before. But I love this movie, and specifically this I, time. Apparently you do. <laughs> I want to talk about Bill Irwin's performance as as uh, the father of, of Rachel, who is, who is getting married. And mm. he, he's so good. And I remember when I first saw the movie, and I saw him, and I recognized him. And, I, and, and when I recognized him, I was like, oh, it's that guy, you know? Yeah. And then he's he gives this amazing, just beautiful, open-hearted, soulful performance as this father of this young woman who's getting married, and the family has known this great tragedy because they lost a younger child to an accident like years ago, and, and he still is carrying this grief inside of him, and, and he's so goddamn good. And Anne Hathaway got all of the attention for the acting, and she deserved it because she was great in it too. But my mm. God, Bill Irwin is so good in this movie. So uh, if you if you if you are like me and you watch Lady in the Water and and you see these amazing actors and your heart just hurts to see these incredibly talented people have to do this absolute dog shit. Um, and if Bill Irwin specifically is one of those people that you see and you go, oh no, why did Bill Irwin? Why is he stuck in this movie? I would recommend watching Rachel Getting Married because. Not only is it a great movie just all together, but you get to see Bill Irwin be a great actor and play a great character. And uh, it's, a much, it's a much nicer way to think of him and to see him than to watch him in Lady in the Water, that's for sure. So there you go. That's my recommendation. As you guys know, I like to recommend a movie from the same year that the movie we just reviewed, and it's 2006. And the movie that I'm going to recommend is the satiric black comedy from Jason Reitman, Thank You for Smoking. Oh, man, what a great movie. Mm-hmm. It stars uh, Aaron Eckhart, mm -hmm. Sam Elliott's in it, Rob Lowe's in it, J.K. Simmons is in it, mm. and it's basically about this spokesman who works for uh, you know like a big tobacco company, and um, you know he lobbies on behalf of like cigarette cigarettes, and he uses spin taxes. Uh, tactics and also you know he's trying to be like a good role model for um, his kid and it's just a good movie it's just a good movie and they go to more than one place oh and <laughs> I know and it's darkly funny so if you like darkly funny stuff this is the movie to go see also, it didn't cost a gazillion dollars to make because, you know, people were willing to travel for their fucking jobs. You goddamn baby. You. <laughs> so go see that. Go see. Go see. Thank you for smoking. It's really good. It's really good. It's really good. So, Steve, mm -hmm. I know what happened last time we did this. Yeah. I, you made me hurt you again. I know, but this time there's no way you can hurt me, okay? Oh, oh good, good. All right, so okay. right now is the time where Steve has to choose the next movie we're going to review. He has three choices. They're a blind choice, and he does it by selecting A, B, or C. And this time around, again, they're all films from one director. Ooh. Isn't that great? That's great. And we've already reviewed one of his movies, but technically that doesn't count because that was more of a, you know... He he disowned it. So we're oh, going to select a yeah. We're gonna we're gonna do a real movie that he made. We're gonna do a all right. So Steve, please <laughs> okay. Pick A, B, or C. I'm going with A. A. Okay. 
Had you chosen B, mm-hmm. we would have reviewed the film noirish drama mystery thriller hmm. Blue Velvet. <gasps> oh, okay. Had you chosen C, we would have watched the avant-garde masterpiece Eraserhead. Wow, okay, but... But you chose A. So, the next time we return, we're going to be reviewing Mulholland Drive Ah. by David Lynch. Yeah! (laughs) As we try to relate to you the plot. Oh, there's a plot? Yes, there is a plot, Steve. There is kind of a plot, yes. It's whatever it is that you can figure out, okay? There are plenty of people who have lots of theories about Mulholland Drive. I have one. Do you have one? Uh, Probably. It's been a while since I've seen it, though. I'll have to watch it again and and see if I can formulate a theory. Maybe it'll change. Maybe. Who knows? So that's it. So go out and watch Mulholland Drive. You don't have to watch shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like last time. Uh, You're welcome. Mm -hmm. And thanks, everybody, for listening in for Late Seating. This is Jason Harding, and see a movie this week. And this is Steve Shives, Babies on the Half Tip. What? That's a line from this movie. Is it? Yeah, one of the smoking guys says it. Why? I don't know. He just says babies babies on on the the half half tip. I don't, what does it mean? I don't fucking know. I don't know. Is that that scene where he screams that and they all laugh and think it's great? I think maybe, yeah. In fact, the person that says it is Jared Harris. Yeah, I, does Jared Harris say it? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, it must have sounded it must have sounded as good as it could possibly sound then. <laughs> if Jared Harris said it, "Baby's on the half tip." And then, as soon as it was over, he went, "What am I doing? Why? Oh. Why? Oh, I guess we're done shooting. Shyamalan has to get home for dinner." <laughs> <sighs> I guess we'll just wander around this industrial complex until he returns. (laughs) I think they're not allowed to go home. They just have to wander around the set. (laughs) Have you ever seen um, Schenectady? Oh, um, uh, Synecdoche? Synecdoche. Is that what it is? Yeah, the the, the Charlie Kaufman movie? Yeah. Yeah, Synecdoche. Where they build that entire thing in a warehouse? Yeah, I've never, I've never actually seen it, but I know what you, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know, and I know, I know the premise. Yeah. Do you think that that's a riff on Shyamalan? Oh man. (laughs) Maybe building that entire an entire uh, uh, apartment complex inside of a warehouse and filling it with people. <laughs> Maybe that's like the pettiest shit ever. Not only does Charlie Kaufman uh, make a movie about that for that reason, but I'm assuming it's a much better movie. <laughs> it is. So you know, it is. It's it's far for it's far more fourth wall breaking, but I mean, it, I would love it if it, if in some interview Charlie Kaufman says, "Yeah, I saw Shyamalan. I knew what he was doing, and it was a piece of shit." And I was just like, I'll, "I can show you how to do that. It's better." <laughs> Fuck him. This Fuck is how you him. do it, son. Do you know, he didn't want to drive forty five minutes. <laughs> We're filmmakers, you fuck. It's part of the job. I mean, did What's he have... What's the next one going to be set in your backyard, you dick? Did he, did he have, like, production assistants fanning him with palm fronds and feeding him grapes? I mean... I guess. <laughs> I mean, he might be a really nice guy, but boy, his inner beast really shines through in this movie. Yeah. it just. I'm it, still being Charlie... Char- I'm still being Charlie Kaufman. You're still being Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> I'm sure he's a nice guy, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> People thought adaptation was self-indulgent. Fuck you. <laughs> but at least it was fucking interesting. It started with the birth. <laughs> right. <laughs>
It was supposed to be based on something real, but it wasn't. <laughs> Very loosely. You should talk to the guys who in real life wrote these books. They're like, I never had sex with that guy. What's, <laughs> None what's of this happening? Happened. None of this happened at all. But you know what they didn't do? Some sp- explain some made up horse shit for through for two hours. What 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 Lady in the Water really needed was two Nicholas Cages. <laughs> That's what would have saved it. So Paul Giamatti is split to two Nicholas Cages. Well, no, keep keep Paul Giamatti, but just two Nicholas Cages are wandering around, just living in the apartment. Yeah, just and they live and they live in different apartments and they don't know each other. (laughs) And there is no there is no explanation for why two identical Nicholas Cages are living in the same apartment building. That can be the twist at the end. Yeah, (laughs) they're not involved in the plot at all. They dress exactly the same, so we assume it's the same person through the whole fucking movie until the very end when they walk out to watch the eagle fly away and they're just standing next to each other Whoa. and then they turn they turn to each other and then you cut to black that's it <laughs> and you're going what the fuck was that who were they goodbye everybody See, the it, end. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what you add to the movie the soup is bad you can throw in as many vegetables as you want you're not making it better you're just there's no amount of salt can save it you're just polluting more good ingredients that's all you're doing save this for a better soup (laughs) don't put this in that soup all right bye everybody bye everybody now i want soup It comes in cans uh, now. What? Soup and cans. You can just heat it up. Oh. You don't even have to make it. I knew I'd keep you around for some reason. Yeah. Stop it. Stop. Stop. We got to stop it I'm or done. we'll just keep going. Stop it. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm Do done. You have a I got nothing else. You got it? I you got sure? nothing. You I got don't nothing. Have... I got nothing. It's good. So I can I can say, okay, we're done. And you're we're, we're done. Because gonna... I was going to end with, now I want soup, but you continued the joke. Well, you can still end it. You can still end it. Nobody's going to have. Nobody's gonna know any, any different. Yes, I have a compulsion. I have to keep it in. Just stop. Just hit stop. Just say three, two, can one, stop. Can we try? I need, no. I want a nice ending with a quip, not us bickering. You... <laughs> no one wants to hear that. <laughs> You know my favorite way to eat soup? I don't know. Right out of the can in the in, in the grocery store. <laughs> you just painted the saddest picture. It wouldn't be sad if you could see how happy I am when I do it. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.